what, what we're going to talk about today is going to be a very, very serious word from the Lord, a very encouraging word. And I, I know many of you are just visiting, and you're from out of town visiting people that go to church here. A lot of our people have left for the holiday. But I'm, I'm really glad you're here. We're, we're kind of at the end of a book, Book of Ruth. It's maybe a book you're not familiar with. And I, I guess uh, I've, I've got to kind of give, bring you up to speed. That's all right if you're patient enough. My daughter said the best part, she said, Dad, the best part of you preaching through Ruth is that you give a review each week. And so since that is the best part, (laughs) get ready because it's all downhill from here. (laughs) During the time uh, of the judges, there was a famine in Bethlehem in Israel. And there was a family of four, rather than go to other parts of Israel to seek food, they actually left and went to the land of Moab, a pagan country. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. They had two boys, Malon and Kilion, so they get there. And then after a while, they went to escape death. Well, that the husband, Elimelech, dies. So it's Naomi and her two boys. And her two boys, they have no father, I guess, to give them any direction. They ended up marrying these, these pagan Moabite women. And then after 10 years of having no kids, believe it or not, those two boys also die. And so we have Naomi with Orpah and Ruth, her her daughters-in-law. And um, Naomi hears that there's food back in Bethlehem. She's like, I'm going back. You go back to your family, back to your gods, go back to your people. I'm out of here. Because the only thing I have to offer you is suffering. So go back. And Orpah uh, says, okay, I'm going to go back. And she goes back. But Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. And what we see in Ruth chapter uh, 1 is her conversion. She comes under the wings of God and goes back with Naomi to Bethlehem. However, there, there's, no, there's no money. They're poor. Naomi's old. They need provision. And so Ruth goes to work in the fields. God has made provision for the poor for them to be gleaners in the field. That means they get to pick up the scraps Uh, that's left over of the grain in the field of the harvest. So she goes out to pick a field, any field, and wow, she just so happens to end up in the field of this godly man named Boaz. She goes out there and starts to glean in the field. Boaz just so happens to show up in God's providence, and Boaz has heard about her character, her reputation. She's She's a godly woman, and so he blesses her. He gives her this ton of grain, gives her a little bit of lunch, and and sends her back to her mother-in-law blessed. And her mother-in-law says, my daughter, where did you go today? And she said, went to this field of this guy named Boaz. And she's like, are you serious? Is that mean Boaz? That's, that's, That's our relative. That's our redeemer. He is one of those men who can bring us out of our pitiful state. You see, there, there's this legal law in Israel where, where a, 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 a close relative could function as a redeemer, which means he could marry Ruth, give them provision, and eventually, hopefully, she would have children, and the line of Elimelech could continue. So this was good news. Boaz was the redeemer. He could step up, marry Ruth, and all would be better. There's a problem, though. Like many men, he was not taking any initiative toward this girl. He was doing nothing. And so what we have is a very aggressive mother-in-law steps up and and 
puts her daughter-in-law in a situation where she goes to the threshing floor late at night, lays down at his feet, and she pretty much proposes marriage to him. Or she actually proposes that he propose. And he's like, wow, you want me? Old me? You could have had all these young rich guys. Or you could have married for love with these young poor guys. But you, Ruth, are a woman of character. You have chosen to carry on your mother-in-law's line. You are a woman of character. You have sought out the Redeemer. And he says this. He says, I would love to marry you, but there's someone else who is a closer relative than me. There's another Redeemer. There's another kinsman. What I'm going to do, I'm going to seek him out, and I'm going to give him an opportunity to redeem you. And if he chooses not to do it, then I am going to step up and marry you. And that is where we are left, on the edge of our seats. To see how is this Boaz guy going to pull off what we all want, a marriage of Ruth and Boaz, and do it with integrity. We're, We're waiting to see. But what I want you to see this morning is something so important. I want to make sure you're tracking with me. This story is set in the context of redemption. Where Boaz seeks to bring Ruth out of childlessness, out of poverty, out of suffering, and give her an abundance. And this redemption is going to come at great personal cost to Boaz. It's going to cost him a lot. But you know what? He's going to try to go through with it anyway because he is going to be compelled by love. Now, if you ever write anything down from sermons, write this down. It is an enduring truth of redemption. This can be true of a redemption many times in the Bible. It's this. Redemption pretty much always comes at great personal cost. But it can be achieved if compelled by love. Redemption will come at great personal cost, but it can be achieved if compelled by love. And the awesome thing is that the book of Ruth is set in a larger context of redemption in Jesus Christ. Because I'll give you a quick little hint here. Ruth and Boaz will get married and a descendant that will come from their line will be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ will be the Redeemer that at great personal cost to himself, dying on the cross for our sins, yet compelled by love, he will redeem you, he will redeem me out of a life of bondage to sin and Satan. That is why this book is so beautiful. Because we can talk about a lot of reasons of why Jesus would redeem us, what his motivations would be, glorifying the Father, pursuing joy. But in the context of the book of Ruth, we're going to talk about being motivated by love. Oh, this is, this, is, this is so beautiful to think that the good news pictured on a small scale between Boaz and Ruth comes to ultimate fruition on the larger scale of Jesus redeeming us. And now, my brothers and sisters, we are to function 
as redeemers, now that we are been loved by the Lord, we now step out and function in redemptive ways, compelled by love, no matter what the sacrifice, toward others. And it is in this setting of redemption that I have some very hard news for you. This past week was the funeral of uh, one of our brothers uh, in here, Eric Kerner. Many of you knew Eric. Some of you did not. Eric has been a part of our church for the last few years. I'd, I'd say a lot of you were at his baptism. 2009, Good Friday, he was baptized. Eric was... You could some sense say he was on the church staff. He was the guy, the janitor, who, who cleaned our offices. He would do some cleanups after some of our big events. And I just want to tell you, we live in a fallen world, and it is with great pain that I tell you that his death was ruled a homicide. We are unaware of the details, and those in authority are still investigating the matter. And I know it's, when we first heard it, like maybe you right now, it's very shocking. It's very overwhelming. But at the same time, there is hope in the redemption offered by Jesus. And that was very obvious on Wednesday at his funeral. Because without the redemption of Jesus, there would be absolutely no hope. But to think about that Jesus, at great personal cost to himself, compelled by love, let's get specific, compelled by love for Eric, laid down his life so that Eric could come out of a life of sin and bondage to Satan, and have eternal life with God. And we can be sitting here right now, we can think about redemption, but I tell you what, face to face with God, eternal life with God, redemption in Jesus Christ, really, it's all that matters. And as we approach this, this text today, you know, we're going to approach it with heavy hearts. And we're going to also approach it with hopeful hearts. And what's interesting, when we come in here on Sunday morning, and no matter what text we're looking at, a lot of us just have heavy hearts from living in a fallen world. But that is not the end of the story. For we have hope in the redemption offered in Jesus. Now, I'm going to say some more about this as we go through our text today. So let's just kind of walk through it. Let's look at Ruth 4, Ruth chapter 4. And we're going to walk through this to verse, starting in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down and... 
you know, this is interesting. He's at the gate. There's a lot of foot traffic in and out of the city. Travelers are coming in. Travelers are going out. People are going to work, going out to work. And they're all traveling through this gate. And the gate is a, is a civic place. It's where a lot of business transactions would take place. It's kind of where the courthouse would be as some legal things would happen. Now, now, Boaz is not looking for a law court because he doesn't have a legal dispute with this other redeemer. He's looking for some um, legal ratification of, about, of what's about to happen. It's, it, it's basically an administrative family matter that's going to be worked out in front of the authority leaders who have assembled at the gate. And so he's waiting at the gate, and you're never going to guess who came by. It says, and behold... The redeemer of who Boaz had spoken came by. Don't be surprised that he came by. I mean, God's been bringing people here and there, moving them here and there, putting Ruth and Boaz together. And and now this redeemer, who he's been just talked about last night with Ruth, is right there. Bam, God has brought them together. And he, this redeemer, is called friend. Boaz says to him, turn aside, friend. And for those of you who are into Hebrew, I just think it's kind of a fun word. The, the word in Hebrew for the word friend is the word poloni almoni. It's like, what does that mean, poloni almoni? I just think it's a fun word. And, and you know what? It actually means this friend, this is Mr. So-and-so. This is Mr. What's-His-Face. This is Mr. Nobody. I mean, the narrator knows his name, but the narrator doesn't even put his name in the book because this man, it's is almost like he's an embarrassment. He doesn't even deserve to be in the storyline. So this is just Mr. What's-His-Face, Mr. So-and-So, Mr. Nobody. So Mr. What's-His-Face comes over and sits down, and Boaz takes over, verse 2. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Remember, it's not a legal dispute. It's more of a family, legal, administrative matter. Needed this ratification of the elders. And Boaz goes up to these guys. He's like, you, 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 you. Come on, get over here, get over here. He's a man in control. Brings all the elders over there. Maybe this is a a quorum that is needed to settle the matter. Get over here. And then he starts speaking to his relative. Mr. What's-His-Face. Verse 3. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know for sure there is no one else besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, if you're paying attention here, Boaz is so strategic. We think that this whole interaction is going to be about Ruth, where he's going to say, look, I love Ruth. I really want to marry her. Please give me Ruth. Give me, give me, give me Ruth. Doesn't even mention her. He's strategic. He starts talking about this land that our relative Naomi is selling. Because she's, she's poor. 
She needs to make provision for her and Ruth. And so they're still in this land. She's, she's back from Moab. She's back from Moab. And here is this redeemer. He's the first in line. And he can buy the land. And yes, yes, the mother-in-law, Naomi, she comes with the land. It's, it's a connected deal. But, you know, he can buy the land at a good price, take care of Naomi from the land. Naomi's old. She is not going to have any kids. And so once Naomi kind of passes off the scene, the land is going to be all his because there's not going to be any kids to take it over. It is a good deal. And not only is it a good deal, it is a good deed, right? He is fulfilling his biblical obligations. He is doing the right social duties. He's taking care of one of his relatives. So everybody's going to say, you are such a good guy. You took care of your relative Naomi and her destitute state, and he's thinking, I am such a good, di- good guy, but I also got a good deal. Good deal, good deed, oh yeah, I'll take it. And you're like, no, no, Ruth and Boaz are supposed to get married, not Mr. Mr. So-and-so, no. Boaz has got a plan, verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. (laughs) Boaz is like, Oh, yeah, by the way, I forgot to mention this one thing. Um, You'll buy the land, but there's this, this other relative of yours named Ruth, and you actually have to marry her. It's just part of the deal. And then she has to have kids. And when those kids get old, they will actually get the land. And you won't have it at all. Whoa. So, it's not a good deal anymore. It's just a good deed. The good deal has passed off the scene. And we're left with the deed. So look what the Redeemer says, Mr. So-and-so says in verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, um, I, uh, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So he was all in when it was a good deal combined with a good deed. But if the good deal is off the table then the good deed is going to be way too costly. He says, I cannot redeem it, lest I impair my own inheritance. Once again, redemption comes at a great cost. Redemption is not something that's cheap. It's going to come at a great cost. And he knows this, and he's like, "Uh, you know, I've got this inheritance from, from me and my family. And kids are very expensive these days, you know. And I don't want to invest in raising the kids and then they're going to grow up and then they're just going to get the land and I'm going to be left with nothing? No way. You do it. I'm going to pass. Mr. So-and-so weighed his options. Ah, it's too big of a risk. It's too big of a... Not enough payout. So he, he bows out, and guess what? Mr. So-and-so, Mr. What's-His-Face, Mr. Nobody, he is really not criticized for his decision. Maybe a little bit since he's called Mr. What's-His-Face, 
Mr. So-and-so. But on a whole, the Bible is not criticizing him for his decision. He probably wasn't Elimelech's brother, and so he didn't have to have this great obligation to follow through. But he was a relative, and he had a choice. I can step up and redeem, or I can bow out. And he said, cost too much, I'm out of here. And I really want you to know this, and I really want you to hear this. You will have choices in your life to step up and redeem some broken situations and some broken people, and you will be called upon to step up. And you will be totally free to say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to bow out of this one. I'm going to leave this for someone else. And you're free to do that. We're faced with situations all the time. You're free to do that. However, your faith is not going to be held up to be modeled. And that's what the book of Ruth is doing with Boaz. The book of Ruth is saying, here is a model Israelite at great personal cost to himself, is stepping up to redeem Ruth. He's going to pay his own money, which is a good amount, to buy this land. He's going to pay to raise these kids. He's going to pay for Naomi and Ruth. And when it's all said and done, the kids will grow up, get the land, and carry on the name of Elimelech. At great personal cost to himself, Boaz says, I am going to do it. And and what's great about this is that Boaz knows of another redeemer. That would be the father who redeemed Israel out of Egypt. And in imitation of God, he redeems. But Boaz, what he also does is he projects forward to one of his descendants, Jesus Christ, who at great personal cost will also redeem us from sin and Satan. And now, as believers on the other side of the cross, we step out and act in redemptive ways. That's right. We function as redeemers, motivated by the love that Jesus has given us in his redemption. At great personal cost to ourselves, we now step out and redeem others and their situations. So we go to work. We go to school. We see people that we know, our friends who are in bondage to Satan and sin. And at great personal cost to ourselves, we try to redeem them by telling them about Jesus. Maybe they will hate us after we do that. We have people around the world that are in poverty and suffering. And so we take our money, we take our time, and we step out. We try to redeem them out of these painful situations. But what's going to happen is we're going to be less comfortable. Some of you have some broken relationships. And you, you can bow out. Biblically, you can bow out. But you choose to stay in, to redeem it, to turn it around. There are many ways that we can function as redeemers in this world because we are motivated by the redemption of Jesus toward us. And I really want you to think about it. It will come at great personal cost. When we love others in redemptive ways, there will be cost involved. It was true for Boaz, it was true for Jesus, and it will be true for us. 
As I mentioned earlier, I was at Eric Kerner's funeral on Wednesday. And when you're at a funeral, you learn a lot about a person because people from their past, from when he was a little kid, they step up and they tell, they start talking and giving their stories that they know from, from Eric. And it was very interesting. And one of the things I learned this past Wednesday is that Eric was adopted when he was, I think he was about four weeks old. He was adopted by a Christian man and woman who were modeling this redemption. They redeemed Eric out of a difficult situation and great costs were involved. Now, I'm sure when this adoption happened 41 years ago, there were a lot of monetary costs. You know, we, you pay somebody to an agency, and I'm sure that was involved. But as I was talking to his mom at the funeral, I realized that um, she paid great personal cost her whole life. And this is where the story of redemption gets really good. She was really honest. She said, you know, I think when Eric was around 10 or 11, his dad died. And it was just her. And she said things got bad. Got bad when he was a teenager. Got bad as an adult. And you could see her pain. That she moved to redeem this little baby. And throughout her life, she paid great personal cost. And, and you kind of wonder, how do you do that? How does Boaz do that? How does Jesus do that? How does Eric's mom do that? How do we do that? And this is, this is the second part. Redemption is not just about great personal cost. It's also about love. Boaz is compelled by love. Jesus is compelled by love toward us. And so while I can talk to you about all the suffering that you're going to face and everything it's going to cost you to remove in redemptive ways towards others, but it's not going to last very long unless it is compelled by love. First, God's love to us, and then our love toward others. Let's look at this, this love that pushes forward. Watch Boaz. Watch him. He just moves forward, compelled by love. Look at verse 7. Check it out. Verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Now, in our times, if you ever closed on a house or a condo or some land, uh, you know there's lots of paperwork involved. There's notaries and there's lawyers. But, but back then, the transi- uh, transaction was much, much more simpler. All they did was exchange sandals. Don't you wish it was still like that today? Here, here's a sandal. So Boaz, Mr. So-and-so, takes off his sandal, which indicated, he's like, I'm giving up my rights to redeem. He takes the sandal, and he gives it over to the rightful redeemer, which is Boaz. And you're like, 
what's the significance of a sandal? Well, they think that back then, when somebody was selling a piece of property, they would like have their foot on the property, and then they would take their foot off the property, and whoever was buying the property, they would pick their foot up and they'd stick it on, and the deal is done. Isn't that amazing? That was it. And the situation here, it's about a sandal. Here you go. It's yours. And everybody saw it. Everybody witnessed it. Keep going. Verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead. In his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So all these people are listening. There's no written documents. He's like, okay, elders, okay, crowd, did you see what just happened? If anybody questions my redemption, it was done ethically and legally. I got this sandal here to prove it. And the crowd is like, Boaz, you're amazing. Because you did this not for the good deal. You did it for the good deed. And watch what they say. Verse 11 and 12. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. They're like, oh, we see it, Boaz. We bless you. May you be like them. May Ruth be like these founding mothers of Rachel and Leah. May she have lots of kids. And may your family be famous. May you have a legacy, just like the, those in Bethlehem who came from Judah and Tamar, just like Perez. May your legacy endure. And what's so cool? Boaz and Ruth. Their legacy did endure. They ended up having a descendant named Jesus Christ who showed on a greater scale what redemption is truly all about. At great personal cost to himself laid down his life to redeem you and me from sin and Satan because he was compelled by love. He loves us. Have it on a small scale, Boaz and Ruth, grand scale of Jesus to us. And as I've been thinking about this, I've I've been thinking, this really is to be the motivation to love other people. You know that scripture in 1 John says, we love because he first loved us. Well, we redeem because he first redeemed us. We move in redemptive ways because God has moved toward us in redemptive ways. But as I've been thinking about motivations, I kind of wonder, that doesn't always work, does it? Like I'm telling you right now, We're to love others because he first loved us. We're to redeem because he first redeemed us. And you're like, oh, I'm tired. Oh, whatever. I mean, really, it kind of just falls flat, doesn't it? If you just admit, sometimes the gospel falls flat. You're like, I've heard this since I was a little kid. I realize the motivation is not to be because of legalism. It's to be because of grace. Okay, 
grace of God, now go redeem others, okay. And it it falls flat. And I kind of wonder, why is that? How can we hear the gospel message over and over again and then get to a point where we're not moved, where we don't really care? We appreciate God's love to us. We believe him in Jesus, but we're not moved. And as I was pondering that and and pondering the book of Ruth, I think I I found the reason why it doesn't move us. I'm going to share it with you. Maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't. But this is why I think that we're often not stirred. And here's the answer. We forget that we are Ruth. We're Ruth in this story. We forget our destitution. Ruth had nothing. She was promised nothing but suffering. She gets to Israel. She is poor. They hardly have any food. She has nothing. She has no kids. She has no husband. She has no family line. She has nothing. And her only hope is in her redeemer, Boaz. And I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering if on this very day, he walked up to her door, knocked on her door. He had, you know, his hand behind his back. And he's not going to give her flowers. And he's not going to give her a ring. But a sandal. (laughs) Isn't that romantic? (laughs) A sandal. But what would that mean for Ruth? My life has been totally changed. I've just now been redeemed out of poverty and suffering. And so when we read this story, we're to say, you know what? We have this spiritual destitution, spiritual destitution of Ruth. That, that's us. We are dead in our sins. We have no hope apart from Christ. We are morally and spiritually bankrupt. And then Jesus shows up in our life one day. And what happens? He laid down his life on the cross to redeem us from our life of suffering and sin and bondage to Satan. And he is now taking us to himself. And you're not going to feel that or understand that until you see your destitution. You are Ruth with nothing to offer God. But when you feel it, then you'll start to understand, ah, God has so loved me. Now I can move toward others in redemptive ways and redeem them out of their stuff. What I really like about my friend Eric Kerner is that if you ever talk to him and he wasn't ashamed to talk about spiritual things, if you ever talk to Eric you would understand that that was a man who understood his own spiritual destitution. He would not say, you know, I have a lot to offer God. No, he would understand. He would say, I am very messed up. But Jesus has come in to redeem me. That is the kind of man that he was. He understood his spiritual destitution. And what's so amazing by the hand of God's providence When he gave his testimony on Good Friday, 2009, Pastor John helped him write his testimony. 
And just by chance, I said, Pastor John, do you have his testimony still on your computer? Because I want to read it at his funeral. And he did. It's a very short testimony. Many of you heard it. I'm going to read it to you. And I want you to sense, here is a man that understood his own spiritual destitution, and yet he also understood redemption in Jesus. Just listen to this. It's very brief. This is what he said. I was adopted into a loving Christian home as a baby. Through my parents' example, I came to believe and trust Jesus at a young age. I still face many challenges. I was diagnosed with a learning disability, lost my father at a young age, and spent a year in a group home. But God was still there. In high school, he led me to a young life group. They cared for me, and they helped me grow in my walk with Jesus. But life would have many more challenges for me. After high school, it was hard for me to find a job. I fell into the wrong crowd and found myself on the wrong side of the law. But God was still there. Through those times, God always called me back to him and renewed my faith. It really helped to have a mom and a grandma who never stopped praying for me. But life continued to be challenging. For a variety of reasons, I found myself without a home for almost a year. This is one of the darkest times in my life. But God is still there. He protected me and brought me through many dangerous times. Life continued to be challenging. I was diagnosed with a neurological disorder that affects my feet and hands and legs. But God is still there. God brought me peace and hope. God continued to be there. Through the years, I have not always made the right choices. But God has been faithful. He's always there for me. He keeps bringing me back to his truth. I still struggle today, and I know that I will still face challenges. But I know God loves me, and he died for my sins. I truly believe in him. I want to dedicate my life to him. That is why I'm getting baptized tonight. Now, after the funeral was over, I had this testimony, and I, and I just wanted to give it to his mom. And so I was waiting around. I was talking to some of the guys. I was waiting around for her. And then she came up to me, and she's like, can I have a copy of that? And that's when she poured out her heart. She said, you know, it was really challenging and difficult after his dad died. And, and she said, I knew that something happened in him about a year ago. I've been praying for him. She was living down in Texas. She goes, I heard that he got baptized. But she said, I didn't, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know any of this. She said, this is the first time I've heard any of this today at his funeral. And she said, this means the world to me. This is like a bomb. This is so significant. Our Lord Jesus Christ redeemed Eric, a man who understood his own spiritual destitution. And Eric went to the cross. He went to the Redeemer, to the one who loved him and died for him.
And I just want us to feel our own spiritual destitution apart from Jesus and find ourselves amazed at what God has done in our lives and how he has moved toward us with love and sacrifice. And may it, his work compel us to move toward others in loving and sacrificial ways. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be very specific and say thank you for intervening in the life of Eric as his redeemer and bringing him to repentance and faith and bringing him to salvation so that now he is rejoicing with you and his redeemer. And Lord, I just, I, just, I just pray for us that we don't throw away or throw aside that you are our redeemer, that you have loved us, that you've moved toward us. And I just ask you and enable us to sense and feel our destitution apart from you and to just rejoice that you've come to our rescue, that you truly have redeemed us from the bondage we were in to Satan, the bondage we were in to sin, and that we truly have been rescued and redeemed. You are our Redeemer. We glory in you. And I ask you to give us power and strength and the ability to move toward others in redemptive ways and loving other people because you have first loved us and seeking to see them redeemed because you have first redeemed us. Do this magnificent work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.